Hope you guys had a great Christmas. I know that I did this morning. I'm wearing one of my favorite presents that I got this year. It is uh, socks with my son's face on them. So I hope you had as great of a Christmas as I did, and I want to wish you a, a happy new year, happy 2024. Uh, this morning is a very special morning for our church family. As we are finishing 2023 and starting 2024, we find ourselves a little bit at a, a crossroads, so to speak. It's an opportunity for us to reset ourselves. Uh, this year it has been a great year for a number of reasons. It's also been a difficult year for many of us. But as we look to 2024, we dream with lots of possibilities of what could be, what might be, uh, and pray with anticipation for what God would have in store for us. But what I want to talk about this morning uh, is, uh, is I want to tell you about the very best thing that you can do for 2024. Yes, you heard that right. The very best thing that you can do for 2024. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. And, and here's a hint. It's not lose 20 pounds. It's not read more books. It's not uh, get a better ACT score. It's not... Uh, save more money. It's not any of those things. It's actually not anything new at all. In fact, it is actually the opposite of what is new. It is something that is ancient. And I know that's a big claim to make, but it's a claim that is rooted in truth from God's word. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter six. Jeremiah chapter six. And if you would uh, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord says this through the prophet Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before you sit, why don't you say hi to somebody right around you, shake a hand, hug a neck, tell somebody you're glad they're here. You all are much better than the college students. When we give them an opportunity to greet each other, it takes about 30 minutes for them to finish before we get ready to get started. But uh, I want to, before we go into, jump into the text, I want to talk for just a few minutes about the context of the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is a prophet, prophesying somewhere around 600 BC, uh, give or take uh, about two decades on either end. Uh, but what is happening is Jeremiah is a prophet in the, the nation of Judah. If you remember back after Solomon was king, when he passed away, uh, the kingdom of Israel, what was formerly one nation, split into two kingdoms. You had Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And both Israel and Judah have similar stories. They both have lots of bad kings who were unfaithful. They didn't follow the Lord. They didn't lead the people to follow the Lord. But every now and then there was a good king who would turn the people back and turn the people to the Lord. And throughout that history of both Israel and Judah, uh, God would send prophets and these prophets, their, their responsibility was to preach the message of the Lord. And Jeremiah's message is just about the same as every other prophet's, which is to repent. The people of Judah for a long time had been unfaithful to God. They had gone off after other gods and worshiped them. They had forsaken their God. We'll read some about that in a few minutes. And what Jeremiah's job to do, was to do was to call the people of, of Judah to repentance. And if not, there was, a, there was a warning that accompanied Jeremiah's message. If the people didn't repent, they were going to experience a disaster. They were going to be taken away from their land and into captivity in Babylon. But what we see here that's really incredible in the book of Jeremiah, if you read Jeremiah, it's a tough book. 
it's pretty thick. Uh, there's lots of things that are difficult to read, lots of things that are hard to understand. But what I find really fascinating is in the midst of always, in the midst of God's, uh, when he's revealing to his people his plan and calling them to repentance, in the middle of telling them what is to come if they don't repent, you can always see the heart of God. You can always see his heart and his, his heart's desire to extend mercy to his people. And so what we have here in Jeremiah 6.16 really is, uh, it's the, the merciful heart of God longing for his people whom he loves to turn from their sin and turn back to him, to walk on the ancient path and in so doing to be blessed. And the reason I picked this text this morning was because I know that every single person in this room, this, this message applies to. You may be here this morning and you may be walking on the road, on the ancient path with Jesus. We'll talk more about the ancient path in just a few minutes. But you may be here this morning walking on the ancient path, walking with the Lord. And you may need to be reminded as you look forward to 2024, you may need to be reminded that this is indeed the good path where there is rest for your soul. Or you may be here this morning and you may be walking the, the new path. Again, we'll talk about this more here in just a few minutes. You may be on a path that is walking towards the newest, the latest, and the greatest. You may have once been on the ancient path, but you may have gotten off the path. Or maybe you have never started on the path with the Lord Jesus ever before. So regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you've done, of who you are, we all come into this room this morning needing this from the Lord. And God has something very important to say to each and every single one of us. God wants to bless your life. And that's the thing we need to understand. God wants to bless our lives. He wants us to experience his rest. And in this passage, God makes very clear what kind of life he blesses. It's a life that stands, looks, asks, walks, and finds. Yes, that is a five-part sermon. Yes, I also know that there is no childcare this morning, so I promise to keep it brief. But those are the five verbs in the text. And so those are the five verbs that we're going to build the message around this morning. So if you want to make a note, you can make a note of this first this morning. The life that God blesses stands ready to grow. A life that God blesses stands ready to grow. Jeremiah 6, 16, the very first part, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads. So what we have to imagine here is there's a, a traveler. This traveler is walking from one place to the next. They're walking on these paths and they get to a fork in the road. And uh, it's interesting to me to think about the very first thing that the Lord commands this traveler, uh, also us, to do is to stand. Now, what might the Lord be telling us to do when we're thinking about standing? Well, the first thought that I had was, well, you can either be standing or sitting. Sitting implies you have no desire to move. Standing implies you're ready to go. But that's not actually what I think the Lord is saying here. What I think the Lord is doing is what my mom and dad used to do with me when I used to run around when I was about yay big. Stand still. <laughs> I would just run and do all these things. I was just constantly on the move, constantly going, constantly checking something out. And I can hear my mom and dad's voice, Hunter, stand still. Stop for just a moment. Think about where you are. Think about what you're doing. And I believe this is exactly what the Lord is telling us to do this morning. We are a people and a culture who is addicted to busyness. We are addicted to going. We want to just go, 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 go. Here's a quick question, just a sample poll. How many of you enjoy, like actually enjoy riding in the car with no sound, with no music, and you don't have your phone in your hand? Show of hands. There's a handful. The majority of us, though, like to have music. We're probably on our phones making a phone call, whether it's a hands-free or actually in your hand. There's always another message to send. There's always another project. We, we don't like stopping. 
Because when we stop, we have to deal with the reality of where we are. Stopping scares us because where we are, taking that introspective look is often hard. It's tough. But that's the very first thing. Before we, before we make decisions on where we're going next, we've got to stop and realize, where are we? Where am I at? Right here, right now. Because what happens if we just keep going and going and going? Well, you could have a couple of things. Imagine a traveler who is just walking and keeps walking and keeps walking and keeps walking and keeps walking. What is he or she going to do? First, they're going to get tired. They're going to grow weary. They're going to be exhausted. It's going to have no gas left in the tank. There's no rest and just going constantly. Secondly, they're going to get lost. They're going to keep going and they're going to keep going. And because they're tired and they're weary, they're not going to make good decisions. And they're going to set the foot wrong and then their trajectory, uh, a trajectory, if you ask an archer, if you're just a, a barely a, maybe a millimeter off here, 100 yards from now, you're going to be way, way, way off. And that's what happens when we just keep going. We don't ever take time to stop and ask ourselves, where is my soul? What is the condition of my heart? And if you're here this morning, and again, you could be on either of the roads or any of the roads. You could be walking with the Lord and you may be great, but you still may need a chance to reflect and say, where is my heart at with the Lord? I may be walking the path, but is my heart really there? Or maybe you're not walking with the Lord and you recognize right here, right now, you're recognizing, man, I'm a long way off. This year was not what I hoped it would be. I failed in a lot of different ways and I really need to get back. And you're feeling the weight of conviction. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you that that is a good thing. It is a good thing for us to experience conviction. It reminds us that the Lord is not finished with us yet. And, and at the same time, I, I want to encourage you to, to embrace that sense of conviction. What the Lord is doing in, in your conviction is he's not grinding you to a pulp. He's not just rubbing it in to make you feel bad, but he's, he wants you to recognize that I am a long way off. Why? So that we can return to him. Because the sooner we recognize how far off we are, the sooner we can experience his rescuing grace that he's provided for us in Christ. So that's the very first thing that we've got to do. We've got to stop for just a second. We've got to evaluate, where am I at? What is the condition of my soul? Many of you over the last couple of weeks have gotten uh, the personal spiritual assessment. Pastor David and uh, a couple of others have worked hard on creating a Really, it's an assessment that's meant to be uh, for personal use, but I'll say it's personal, not private. It's meant to be a personal use for you to look at your life through the lens of the disciples' cross, worship, connect, serve, equip, multiply, and for you to give yourself a score and figure out, where am I at? If you have gotten one of those and haven't gotten a chance to fill it out yet, I want to encourage you to do so. If you haven't, if you go through this set of doors right here in these little uh, cubby areas, dugout areas, uh, there'll be, Pastor David will be back there and he'll have one of those for you. I want to encourage you to take that and fill it out today. Because if you wait until tomorrow, you might not do it because tomorrow starts a new year. There's no better day than today than to get these things started. So take that assessment and figure out where are you? Where am I at? Take a minute to stop and stand. Because when we stand, we recognize where we are so that we can then set our trajectory for where we want to go. And that's the second truth I want you to write down this morning, that a life that God blesses looks at the paths that are ahead. A life that God blesses looks at the paths that are ahead. Jeremiah 6, 16, stand by the roads and look. Stand by the roads and look. So again, this image that we have here that the Lord is painting is of a traveler, it's walking. He's come to a fork in the road. What does a wise person do when the road that he is walking on splits into two paths? He looks. He looks and takes stock. What are these roads that are ahead? 
Because here's the reality. Uh, There really only are two walks. There really are only two paths, uh, two ways to live. There's the new path. And this is the the path of whatever is newest and latest and greatest. Uh, Many of you uh, also shared affections with Pastor Bill. I know that I loved him very dearly. And I always loved, the, in particular, some of the fun pranks that he played. One of those pranks included uh, sticking stickers all over the back of mine and Pastor Jacob and Pastor Elliot's cars. And Elliot still has a sticker on the back of his car, and I see it almost every day when I come to work. And it's, you may have seen this before. It's a sticker, and it says, I support the current thing. And I've always thought that was funny because there are so many people who live that way, that whatever is the newest, the latest, and greatest, that's what they support. If everybody's upset about it, they're upset about it too. If nobody's talking about it, they don't care about it either. It is whatever is newest, latest, and greatest. It's something about the shine and the allure. If everybody else is going that way, that must be the way to go. We love new things because new things have never let us down before. We like new things because we hope in those new things that we'll find what we have been longing for, which is satisfaction for our hearts and our souls, joy, we, we hope that in trying these new things and going down these new paths and having these new experiences that we'll get what we want. But the reality is, is all of, it, all of that is new. All of these things, all of the isms, hedonism, uh, materialism, moralism, whatever the ism is that you want to subscribe to or ascribe to, every single one of them is playing out for you the great lie of sin. It is promising you that there is something or someone that is more satisfying to your soul than God and his ways are. That's what the great life sin is. You go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the garden, the people of Judah, they were believing it. And that's what we are tempted to believe every single day, to leave God behind. The Bible doesn't matter anymore. It was ancient. It applied a long time ago, but we have moved on. The biblical sexual ethic, that's, that's for then. Here is now. What God wants me to do with my life, it, it really doesn't matter what I want to do with my life. I'm the captain of my soul. That's really what matters. Forsake God, and I'm going to go after these other things and hope to find a semblance of joy and purpose in these things. Can I tell you that's exactly the same thing that the people of Judah were doing? There's nothing new under the sun. 2,600 years ago, the people were doing the exact same thing. Here's what they did. Jeremiah 2.23, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what every single one of these promises of the new way of living does for us. Forsake God, builds you something that you think can hold water, but actually is just full of cracks. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same lie, the same one Adam and Eve bought, the same one you and I are tempted to buy. This new path of you being the one that's in charge. Sin and stuff never satisfies. That's the bottom line. Sin and stuff will never satisfy your soul. So that's the new path. And then you have the ancient path. What is the ancient path? It's life in the way of God. For the people of God before Christ, so for, these, uh, for the people here in Judah, it was living according to the Mosaic law, which is highlighted by the Ten Commandments. Many of you know them. We want to honor our father and mother. We want to worship God only. We're not going to put any other gods before him. We're going to keep the Sabbath day, right? We're not going to steal or murder. It, it, it's, it's summarized in what Jesus said, that the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. So they had this Mosaic law. And at the same time, for those of us who were after Christ, we still have uh, the way to live, which is the way of life following after Christ. As the church father, Jerome, I love what he said. He said this, 
this ancient path is the well-worn tracks of many saints. It's the well-worn tracks of many saints. So if you were to ask yourself, how do I know if this is an ancient path? The first question you could ask is, does the Bible prescribe it? Does the Bible tell me to do it? And then secondly, have the saints been doing this for the 2,000 years that the church has been in existence? If the answer is yes, then that's the path for us to walk. If the Bible prescribes it, if there are others who have done this, so, so things like reading our Bibles, that's the path of well-worn saints. Spending time with God in prayer, that is the ancient path. Giving, serving, loving people, sharing the gospel. These are the, these are the well-worn tracks of the saints. This is the ancient path, following Christ as Lord. It's a life lived in obedience to Jesus. It's a cross-centered life. A life where the life, death, and resurrection of Christ towers over everything else in your life and where everything in your life lives inside of the shadow of the cross. That's what it looks like to walk the ancient path, to make Jesus the focus, Jesus the object, Jesus the commander. I want to put together a couple of verses for you to think on. These are two verses that are uh, some of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures, but verses that the Lord has used in my life in particular to help me understand the joy that it is to walk with Jesus. The first one is Psalm 1611. King David writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So David says, God, you have made known to me the path of life. You have made known to me the way to live. Life, more life. That's Western slogan. One of their sayings, life, more life. Life, more life. Where is life found? Where is the fullness of joy experienced? John 14, 6, Jesus made this abundantly clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who or what is the path of life that David is referring to? It's the Lord Jesus. He is the path of life. It's not just moralism. It's not just living the Christian ways. It's trusting in Jesus. That's how you find life. Life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And yes, certainly we live following the way of Jesus because we have the life of Jesus in us, not in order to gain life. Jesus is life. I was thinking about earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus was talking to some of the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he was telling them, he was really rebuking them. They were looking at the scriptures. And he said, you, you look in the scriptures thinking that in them you will find life. He says, but all of them point to me. The Lord Jesus is life. He is the way and the truth and the life. And there is no life apart from him. There's no greater joy for the soul. There's no greater joy for our souls than to be saved by the grace of Jesus and to live in his ways. That is, that is how we find joy. That is where we find joy. Unfortunately for us, many of us have heard this, but many of us choose not to believe it. We've been deceived into believing otherwise. I heard a story a couple years ago, uh, actually about a year ago, uh, about a, a criminal. Uh, and it's a parable illustration. This, this guy uh, was a criminal, and he'd been convicted of something. I don't know, make it up. He'd been convicted of uh, stealing a, a carton of apples. And uh, he stands before the king, recognizing that he's guilty and uh, deserving of punishment. And so he stands before the king, and he's given two paths. One path leads this way, and it leads out to the gallows. The other path is leading this way, and it's to a door. And this criminal had heard stories before of what was behind the door. He had heard of people who, who said that behind the door is a great monster. There's a great monster back there who is a ter that's a terrible fate. That's a terrible way to end your life. And so the king asks this criminal, which path would you have? Which path of punishment? And the criminal says, well, I want to go to the gallows. The king says, okay, 
I'm going to ask you one more time. Would you rather go to the gallows or would you rather go to the door? And if so, why? Like, which one? Why are you picking the one that you're going to pick? And he says, I still want to go to the gallows because I at least know what's that way. It may not be a very good end for me, but at least I know what is that way. I don't know anything that's behind this door. And everything that I've been told makes it sound scary. So this criminal king says, okay, your, you know, your wish, so you have it your way. So as the soldiers are taking him off to the gallows, the criminal says, oh, king, oh, king, please, just let me see what's behind the door. What do you think is behind the door? King walks over to it and he opens it, and it's freedom. There's life behind the door. And so the, the criminal goes and uh, he, he's chosen his own fate. And I can't help but to think about this morning how there are many of us who are doing that exact same in our own walks, in our own spiritual walks. We know that the new path does not provide life. We know that there is only death, that sin and stuff never satisfies, yet we choose it over and over and over again. Why? Because we can see it. We can feel it, we can taste it, we can touch it. It is a temporary uh, physical thing that we can grab onto. When we look at the ways of God, we've been deceived. There is someone, an enemy, who wants nothing more than for us to believe that behind the door that is God's way, that there is a monster who wants to shackle us and destroy us. When in reality, there is life. True freedom comes through submission to Christ, not in being who you want to be. And so there's this idea that so many of us, even though we, we know that that way ends in death, that we still choose to go that way because we're afraid of what's behind this door, because we can't taste it and touch it and feel it and see it, even though there is life and joy and peace and hope and eternal life to be found in Christ. The people in Judah, they understood this too. They said, we will not walk in these ways. They knew it, but they didn't go down it. They made a conscious decision to do so. And again, here's the truth. God's commands are not burdensome. The life that God wants us to live, he tells us how to live as proof of his love for us. I'm a new father. I'm only 10 months into our, our journey of fatherhood or my journey of fatherhood. But I know that one of the best things that I can do for my son, Liam, is to give him boundaries, not to keep him contained, but to help preserve his life. I know that my son Liam needs boundaries. I know that fish weren't made to live on the land. I know that cars aren't made to run on orange juice. I know that iPads aren't meant to, to be used as hammers. I also know that human beings aren't meant to live outside of God's ways. God has a plan for us. And, and here's the thing. We have been told that God's ways, there's no life there. It's only shackles. No joy, no pleasure, no freedom. It's only pain. Only you get a chance to not do anything you want to do. Psalm 8411 is a verse I want to encourage you to memorize. It tells us, it reminds that God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Which means that if God forbids it, he forbids it for our good. If he tells us not to do something, he's telling us not to do something because he loves us and wants what's best for us. Not because he wants to keep something from us. And when he tells us to do something, he tells us to do it because it's what's best for us, because he loves us. He's not trying to keep us from something better by telling us to do this. God gives his commands as, as a proof, evidence of his love for us. So let me ask you this morning, what path do you find your heart drawn towards? Do you find your heart drawn towards this new path of stuff and self and sin? Or do you find your heart drawn toward this ancient path of walking with the Lord Jesus? And again, this is where some of our formal belief and our functional belief really Kind of, there's, a, there's a rub, there's a gap. We know what's right, but we don't always do what's right. 
Could it be that maybe the very thing that you need more of in 2024 is not more stuff or more experiences or more fun times, but more of Jesus? It's definitely something to consider. Third, a life that God blesses asks where to go. A life that God blesses asks where to go. Jeremiah 6.16, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Again, we got to picture our weary traveler standing at the crossroads, looking at one path, looking at the other path. Both of them have some appeal, but at the same time, as we've talked about, there's deception. One path looks much better than the other, even though one path leads to death and one leads to life. And so what is a confused traveler who is looking at both of these paths that seem to be decent options or, 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 or things that you can choose, but aren't really sure which one is the better way to go, what would a wise person do? A wise person would ask, would ask those who've been before, would ask those who have come, who have returned from that way or who are on that path. I uh, heard a story recently about uh, the Battle of the Bulge. It's a big battle in World War II, and uh, it was really interesting, but there was a group of German soldiers who uh, would dress themselves in uh, in allied clothes. So somehow they had gotten access to allied clothes and they would stand here at the crossroads when American military vehicles and other allied military vehicles would come into these cities and they would give them directions. They had dressed themselves to look like friends, they, but at the same time, they had actually taken the, the road signs and turned all the road signs around. So where you thought you were going this direction to one city, the sign said to go this direction to that city, and instead it was taking you to another city. So there was a major deception that was going on. And the, the Americans and the Allies pretty quickly figured out that this was happening. So guess what they did? Instead of trusting the road signs, they started to ask people. They started to ask those who lived there, which way is the best way for us to go? And I want to encourage us this morning that maybe the best thing for us to do is not to look at the, the road signs of the way that everybody else in the world is going or the world is telling us to go. And we start asking the Lord, what is the best way for us to go? We start asking our brothers and sisters in Christ who are a little bit ahead of us in their journey with the Lord Jesus, which is the best way to go? I have the joy of being the college pastor here at Living Hope. And one of my favorite things, absolute favorite things in the world is to connect a young college student with a, a, maturing, a mature believer in the faith in our church and to see the two of them build a relationship where that, where that young college student can ask the, the, the grown-up college or the grown-up uh, adult, what is the best way for me to go? Where is the good path? In our pridefulness, oftentimes we don't like to ask for help. We don't want other people to know that maybe we're lost or maybe we're struggling or maybe we're a little bit weary. And so we find in ourselves a, 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 a pushback. We don't want to ask for help. But I want to encourage you that, that the perceived humiliation of asking for help is always, always. Again, it's a perceived humiliation because we all need help. That's, that's the reality is every one of us needs help. But the perceived humiliation of asking for help is always worth the reward of getting the help that you need so that you can live the life that God wants you to live. So don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're, a, if you're here in the room this morning and you don't have somebody in your life that you're talking to regularly, whether that's as a part of a men's and women's group, whether that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, ask someone to help you, to point you to the way that is good and walk with them as you guys together walk with Jesus. Fourth, a life that God blesses walks in God's ways. A life that God blesses walks in, God way, in God's ways. 
Stand by the roads and look, Jeremiah said, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. The word for walk is halak in Hebrew. And uh, the, the priests in the, the Jewish tradition, uh, they may still have one, I don't know. But in the, back in the day, they used to have a book that was called a halakha, which meant uh, it's the way of walking. It's, it's what these, these priests would use to tell them how to live their lives. It was instruction manual, so to speak, on how to live their lives. As Christians, we have a Christian halakha. We have the word of God. We have God's word, instruction in his word that tells us how to live, how to act, how to conduct ourselves. One of the things that I find very interesting in uh, John, John's letter, the first, the first letter he wrote, uh, is he tells us that, that we can look at our own lives and see, are, are we, is our faith really genuine? He says this in 1 John chapter 2, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there ought to be a distinguished pattern between the way that you live your life and the life of Christ. Holly and I, uh, a couple of days before Christmas, we went to the mall along with everybody in Warren County and maybe every surrounding county. We were there to take pictures with Santa and we stopped to get some Annie Ann's, which was the highlight of the day for me. So we're sitting at Annie Ann's and I'm watching hundreds of people walk by. And it was incredibly obvious to me which of the people that were walking were, uh, were father and son or mother and daughter. You know, there was, a, there was a, a, a mom and a daughter that were walking by, and I don't know what their names are, and I didn't ask them. But I could tell that this daughter was, was the daughter of her mother. How? Because she walked the exact way. And I'm not talking about like they looked pretty similar. Like they walked the exact same way. The way they carried their purse, the way their arms swung, the way that their knee bent. I mean, it was unmistakably clear that that, that daughter was her, her mother's daughter. They, were, they looked exactly the same. The way that they walked matched perfectly. There was, no, there was no difference between them in the way that they walked. My question for us this morning is when people see us, do they see Jesus? Do they see Jesus in the way that we walk? When people look at us, is it obvious to them? Is it unmistakably clear that we belong in Jesus's family, that we are his sons and his daughters? Do they see his grace and his love in, in our mannerisms and the way that we talk with people and communicate? Do they see his kindness and his goodness in the way that we're, we're, we're embracing other people and sharing our lives with them? Do they see the warmth of Jesus and the generosity of Christ as we share our lives with our neighbors and family and friends? Do they see Jesus when they see us? Because here's, again, this is where the rubber meets the road. The people of Judah heard but didn't walk. That's why they said, we will not walk in this. The people of Judah didn't have an excuse they heard this, but they chose not to walk in it. It's not enough for us just to know. It's not enough for us just to stand and to, to take a second to pause and figure out where am I at. It's not enough for us just to look at the two paths and evaluate, oh yeah, this one is better than this one. It's not enough for us to ask, hey, which way is the best way to go? What matters is us going. What matters is us walking. We've got a path to choose. We're going to walk one of those two paths. Which one is the question? There's a saying my mom and dad used to tell me all the time, you can draw a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And it's a saying that really uh, speaks to the responsibility of the person 
to take action. Every week we gather together on Sunday morning to be reminded of the grace of God in the gospel. Reminded of the Lord Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That he came to pay the penalty that you and I have, have earned for ourselves to, bear, to take our burden of debt and to bury it. He went to the grave and he rose. He gives new life to all who repent and believe. We hear that every single week. We hear every single week, this is the way that God wants for us to live. We hear every single week about these things. Pastor Jason preaches about it. Come to the chapel and I preach about it. Pastor David, whoever is preaching, preaches about these things. We say it over and over and over, calling us as a church family to walk in the way of God. We draw the horse to water, but we can't make anyone drink. So this is, this is where your responsibility starts to take. Which path will you walk? Again, it's not enough to just have heard. The people of Judah heard. They heard it loud and clear. They heard it loud and clear enough to say, we will not walk in it. So let's not be the people of Judah. As you look forward to 2024, leave 2023 behind. Whatever it was, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. We leave it behind and we press on, choosing to walk in the ancient path. Fifth and, and finally, a life that God blesses finds rest for their soul. A life God blesses finds rest. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your soul. What is the reward for walking on the ancient path with Jesus? Rest, rest for your soul, soul satisfaction. If you're here this morning and you're feeling a, a bit weary from whatever that may be, circumstances or challenges that you may be facing in your life or just a prolonged season of weariness, it seems, I wanna remind you that there is rest for your soul in Jesus. Here's what he said, Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. There is rest for your soul in Jesus. Governments can't fix it. Moralism can't change it. Materialism can't satisfy it. Jesus is the only one who can give you rest for your soul. So here we are at the end of 2023, on the verge of 2024, and you may find yourself this morning at a crossroads. I got a picture I'll put up here for you to visualize. This may be what's ahead of you. And truthfully, these, these kind of evaluating moments and trajectory setting moments are happening many times in our life, mostly every day. We have an opportunity to choose to walk with Jesus or to choose to walk the new path with the world. So which one will you walk? That's my question, it's very simple. Which one will you walk? One path leads to restlessness. One path leads to rest. One has temporary pleasures. The other one has eternal joys. One walks with the world and one walks with Jesus. So which one will you choose? If you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I, I have <laughs> gotten a long way off the path, or maybe you've never been on the path with Jesus at all before, and you're thinking, I want to get started. I don't know how. Where do I start? Romans 10, 9 is very clear. It tells us that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we'll recognize him as king, declare him as king, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose, and now he reigns and he's coming again. If we would believe that, the scriptures tell us we will be saved. 
So it's pretty simple for you this morning. If that's you, if you're, if you're not a Christian, repent and believe in the gospel and be saved. If you are a Christian and you have been, but you have been wandering away from Jesus, repent and renew your relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you're on the other side and you've been walking with Jesus and you're doing good and you're starting to think about 24 and it's, it's gonna be great. What do I do in this moment? I wanna encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We run the race with endurance that he set before us. He's the object, he's the desire. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I wanna give us a few minutes here as we, uh, as we close up our time together this morning to pray. And I know this may feel a little bit awkward and you may have family and friends with you. Uh, and I am sorry, but not sorry for the awkwardness that I'm gonna uh, give to you right now, which is I wanna encourage you to get together with your family or your friends or whoever you may be here with this morning. And I wanna encourage you to take just a second and be real about where you are with Jesus. To think about it, there is no more important question for you to, to, to answer, to settle today and as you head into 2024, then where am I at with Jesus? So if that means that you need to ask for help, ask for help. If that means you need to, to be really, really bluntly honest, be honest with yourself. Talk with your family, talk with your friends, and then pray, pray together. Ask the Lord to, to help you to walk on the ancient path. Somebody in your group can voice a prayer. You're welcome to pray together in the rows that you're in. You're welcome to come up on the stage and kneel at the altar if you would like to pray here. But I wanna give us just a, a minute or two to reflect and to go to the Lord in prayer and to talk with him. And then I'll close us together uh, with a, a word of prayer at the end. So let's take this time to pray. Father in heaven, we, we come before you just grateful for the opportunity to address you as our father this morning. As we close out this, this past year, uh, first we wanna come and just offer our gratitude, our thanksgiving to you uh, for the Lord Jesus. We wanna thank you, God, for the gift of grace that comes to us through faith in Christ alone. Thank you, God, that you did for me what I can never do for myself in providing a way for me to experience forgiveness and for me to be restored in a right relationship with you, my creator and my king. And I thank you for the grace that you have given to all of us and this relationship that, with you that we share as brothers and sisters in the family of God together. And Lord, we thank you for all the wonderful things that you did in our lives in 2023. As you sang earlier, Lord, there have been mountaintops and valley moments. There have been good times and bad times, challenges, exciting times. But through it all, Lord, you have been faithful. You have never changed. You have always been who you are. God of steadfast love, faithfulness, mercy, and grace. You forgive. You keep your steadfast love. That's who you are, Lord. So we thank you for being with us through all of 2023. And Lord, as we look forward to what you have in store for us, we look forward with anticipation. We're excited about the many things that you have planned already. You know every single one of our days. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to not look at the, not, not to try to figure out how many days we have, but to make the most of each and every day that you give us. That this room next year would be filled with people who at this time, right now, aren't walking with you but who by this time next year have repented of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation have become brothers and sisters on a pathway toward heaven. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us, Living Hope, our church family, to be, to be the ones that get the privilege of sharing the message of the gospel with them. That Christ has come, Christ 
lived, he died, he rose, he reigns, and he's coming back. And what a wonderful day that will be. And so I pray, Lord, as we are stepping into 24, that we would have a great time celebrating with family and friends, but that we would all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And Lord, that this next year would be a year where we can look back and say, I absolutely lived 2024 to the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus, my King. So please help us do that. And please bring us back together next week to worship you again. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.